and welcome to episode 11 of the Nitwit Show. I am that Nitwit Bro. Thank you so much for giving my podcast a listen, covering all things video game news in the world. Uh, just a very quick update for you. Again, we talked about this last week, but the Nitwit Show is changing. Still don't have a, a hard date on uh, on when but uh in the next couple of weeks the name of the show will be changing and with it uh the music and the logo uh still working on all those changes i think i've nailed down a new name for the podcast but again the idea being is that i want to create a show that better reflects uh you know i want a, a name excuse me a name that better reflects the show that I'm making, uh, a show that focuses a lot on gaming news, you know, the no bullshit takes on the gaming world at large. Uh, and, and honestly, a show that maybe has a name that focuses less on me, the host, because uh, without me, you know, you could still have somebody do this show. Um, but without you, the listener and the support that you give listening every week, we wouldn't have anything. So the idea going forward is to, you know, better rebrand the show in a way that focuses on the show itself, less on me and more on the stuff that you care about. As I take a sip of water, because we got some news today coming up on the show. We're going to be talking about Tencent acquiring a stake in Ubisoft's family holding uh, some other Assassin's Creed news, kind of a follow up to uh, last week. Um, some PlayStation, Xbox, and Call of Duty news, talking about cyberpunk, and so much more. We're going to take a very quick break, and we'll be right back. Stick around. Welcome back to the podcast. Like I said, the top story that we have for you today is Tencent. Chinese gaming giant Tencent is acquiring a stake in Ubisoft's family holding. The uh, this is a big story coming out of uh, Video Game Chronicles, but you know this was kind of reported all over the place, and uh, it's really hard to put into context how big Tencent is as a company. But. Uh, Tencent is massive, like easily one of the biggest gaming companies in the world at this point, you know, uh, out of China um, with stakes in a lot of different companies like like League of Legends and uh, well, no, League of Legends is uh, Riot. So Riot and, uh, you know, the folks that are making uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, some huge, huge games. They also have a minority stake in Epic Games. Uh, they have done dealings with, you know, Vivendi and Activision Blizzard and just huge, huge, you know, companies working with a really big company. So Ubisoft has announced a major strategic partnership with Tencent. This story again coming out of Video Games Chronicles. If you want a good place to learn about games, check out Video Games Chronicles. The gaming giant is set to acquire a 49.9% economic stake with 5% voting rights in the Guillermo Bros Limited, the holding company of Ubisoft's founder. So remember, Ubisoft, while Ubisoft is like a big gaming company, it is also small in the, in the, in the scheme of things because it is a, more of a family business. 
um, to some extent. So 49.9% economic state with 5% voting rights. So really, it seems like Tencent is going to let Ubisoft do its thing, but they want a little taste. You know what I'm saying? Um, Tencent's involvement in Guillermo Bros Limited amounts to about $297 million. Now, I'm going to read this part verbatim from the report because I am not a businessman. Um, so I can't even necessarily give you my interpretation of this because I don't even know what all of it means. Separately, Ubisoft has authorized Tencent to raise its direct stake in the Assassin's Creed publisher from 45 to 9.99% of the capital or voting rights. A stake won't be able to further increase for a period of eight years. So basically trying to prevent something like a hostile takeover from Tencent or anything like that. Uh, Ubisoft said the partnership with Tencent covers the development of mobile titles from several of Ubisoft's major franchises and the launch of several Ubisoft PC titles in Japan. So it seems like, you know, in, in China, um, you know, Ubisoft games maybe not as readily available in North America and other parts of the world. Ubisoft does have its own store, its own, you know, launcher, so to speak. But Ubisoft games are available, you know, in some capacity on stores like Steam and the Epic Game Store, um, which, again, Tencent owns some part or has invested some part of money in Epic. So that kind of makes sense, but not available in China. So, you know, Tencent has its own store and it has its own way of, of, of dealing with, you know, game PC gaming sales and things like that in China. And it seems like, you know, one of the things that they Ubisoft might get out of this is, oh, it's going to be easier for us to put these games out on, you know, in China. Right. So not only are they getting like, you know, some uh, some funds to kind of work with as they prepare for, you know, a variety of Assassin's Creed game uh, launches, which we'll talk about in just a moment, but also the ability to actually sell these games a little more easily in, in you know, places like China. Huge gaming market. No doubt about it. Um, but also, you know, they have, they have their own way of doing things, uh, in a couple of ways. And, and usually these big companies like Tencent and other Chinese gaming companies are the ones to go to. If you are a European North American developer, publisher, that sort of thing. So not surprising Tencent buying up, gobbling up everybody left and right, um, as much as possible. Ubisoft still somewhat of an independent company from the from the looks of things but also you know they're making a lot of assassin's creed games like a lot of assassin's creed games more assassin's creed games than i remember since probably assassin's creed 3 assassin's creed 4 like there was a time when there were like mobile spin-offs of assassin's creed games you know when assassin's creed 4 came out you had the pirate ship stuff and then the next game was Unity, and instead of doing Unity on the older PlayStation 3 and 360 consoles, they did Assassin's Creed Rogue, which was kind of pirate-related, but the point is, is that Ubisoft seems to really be gearing up for a, a wide and uh, an ambitious uh, you know, announcement with some of these Assassin's Creed games. Ubisoft Forward is the next company uh, is the company's next event and that's gonna be taking place september 10th now last week we talked about assassin's creed mirage they've now confirmed assassin's creed mirage you know taking place in in, in baghdad so we know that what we don't know is what's going on with assassin's creed infinity 
So again, Assassin's Creed Infinity, I'm trying to kind of describe what I think Assassin's Creed Infinity is going to be. We know that it is uh, a large scale collaboration uh, between a variety of Assassin's Creed developers. So Ubisoft Quebec, which made Odyssey, Montreal, made Origins and Valhalla are working together to create a platform of Assassin's Creed games. So when you think platform, we're not talking like a, a console, so to speak. We're talking about how Destiny, we'll use Destiny as an example. Destiny 2 is a is a framework for which, you know, Bungie can go ahead and make a, a, a you know, a expansion like Lightfall or an expansion like the Witch Queen. And while they're going to use a lot of the similar, you know, resources, you know, the swords are probably going to look the same to some extent, or, um, you know, the blades of grass will probably look the same between, you know, the grass that you see in the Holy Roman Empire or the reportedly rumored to be Holy Roman Empire setting of one of these Assassin's Creed Infinity games, you know, the same way the Blades of Grass will probably look the same for the Feudal Japan game that is supposed to also be part of Assassin's Creed Infinity. So it seems like Assassin's Creed Infinity is going to be a game in which, you know, a variety of Assassin's Creed settings and environments coexist within one another. You're probably not going to be able to like open up the game and run from the Holy Roman Empire to feudal Japan because one that kind of be time traveling that wouldn't make a lot of sense. That being said, Assassin's Creed is all about time traveling and uh, none of it has made sense for the entire duration of its series. And if you're going to sit here and tell me that Assassin's Creed one, two and three and four made any sense uh, from a how can they do this time traveling? What you know, what does it relate back to the modern day setting of those Assassin's Creed characters that were doing the time travel, you're you're lying to yourself. Those games have never made sense. You just want to be a pirate. You want to be part of the French Revolution. You want to, you know, be a part of, you know, the, the Industrial Revolution in, in, in Britain and all that stuff. Don't think too hard about, like, how these people are time traveling, why you get to play as these certain characters. And it seems like Assassin's Creed Infinity is really going to focus on letting you live that fantasy of I want to be in the Holy Roman Empire. I want to be in feudal Japan. I want to be a Viking or, or whatever the case may be all under the larger banner of Assassin's Creed Infinity. So currently there are two developers working on this title. Uh, again, Ubisoft Quebec and Ubisoft Montreal who all have experience making Assassin's Creed games in the past. Um, the Feudal Japan game is currently codenamed Red, being developed by the Quebec team in Montreal's title is codenamed Neo or Hex. We don't quite know what the actual codename is, uh, but it's reportedly around the witch trials during the later stages of the Holy Roman empire so i can see where ubisoft would be like dude we're like making three games you know assassin's creed infinity which currently seems like it's two games in one and assassin's creed mirage um that's huge they're also working on a mobile game um maybe a little less exciting maybe a less a little less resource intensive um than you know mirage and you know infinity i have not played an assassin's creed game since Origins and I liked Origins. I didn't play through it because compared to some of the other Assassin's Creed games like it just was such a huge open world 
there was so much side stuff to do. Even the story, you could kind of approach it in a variety of different ways. And I'm not saying it's an overwhelming experience, but I just think that like it, I don't think it really stuck the landing for me in terms of switching from the kind of crime action, you know, maybe more simplified take on some of the open world stuff in some of Assassin's Creed, you know, biggest and brightest titles like two like brotherhood you know people really liked four but at that point you know in four you're a pirate and you're you know you're harpooning whales and you're you know singing she's ah singing she uh, one more time singing sea shanties say that 10 times real fast and then start your own goddamn podcast and leave me alone um point is you know Assassin's Creed's kind of been all over the place for for a while now they have focused on the role-playing, you know, kind of game storytelling and and premises and, and mechanics in Origins Valhalla and Odyssey. Um, but it seems like Mirage might be more of a step back from the older style of games. And we currently don't know much about Assassin's Creed Infinity. But thank God for Tencent. That's all I'll say. Because if it wasn't for Tencent, we might not get any of this stuff. Speaking of can't get enough... PlayStation says that Xbox's Call of Duty offer was inadequate on many levels. So, Activision Blizzard is currently in the process of selling to Microsoft in one of the biggest gaming deals in the world. And with it comes a variety of, you know, games that Activision Blizzard has developed. One of the biggest games being Call of Duty. This year's Call of Duty is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, which is the sequel to Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And Call of Duty Modern Warfare is the reboot of Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which saw such games as Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. Now, don't worry about Call of Duty 2. Like, don't worry about Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and all this stuff. All you need to know is the new game coming out this year is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. And to be honest, I actually think it looks kind of cool. looks not bad. And I didn't mind that last Modern Warfare game. But the problem is, is that Sony is really concerned that Call of Duty will stop appearing on PlayStation systems once this Xbox, you know, Microsoft and Activision deal goes through. So the current deal that... Um, Xbox is offered is they said, Hey, Sony, listen, we will put three games out on your system. We're going to do modern warfare two and then two other games. And those will appear on PlayStation consoles. Then we're done. And Sony said, no, that's not good enough. So Xbox said, okay, we'll do another three games on top of that. Six more games. That'll probably last the entire life cycle of the PlayStation five. Sony still doesn't seem happy with that news. And I'm here to tell Sony that you're actually your argument is maybe not as strong as you think. So Sony believes that it's going to be difficult to compete with Xbox because Call of Duty will appear on Game Pass. You won't have to buy the game in order to play it. You can just have Game Pass and have Call of Duty and, and Kumbaya. Whereas on PlayStation, you'll have to spend, you know. 70, 80 bucks, whatever, to play Call of Duty. And that Call of Duty is so big in the marketplace for gaming 
that it's the biggest dog around. And thus, anyone who has a monopoly on the world's biggest game simply will crush the competition. And that's what Sony's concerned about. And I'm here to tell Sony that you literally bought Bungie. You literally own the people who make Destiny 2. Destiny 2 is one of the biggest video games in the world right now. You didn't see Microsoft complaining when, you know, Sony bought Bungie. There was even a time when Destiny 2 was part of Game Pass. It was on Game Pass for just a very short window. Uh, enough that I was like, fuck, I should, I should probably play this. I should probably download this, see, what, see if there's anything different about this version. And then they quickly took it off because Sony bought Destiny and Sony bought Bungie. And Sony's like, what? We don't want Destiny on... Uh, Game Pass, even though Destiny 2 has been free to play for the longest time. So that's one reason why I think Sony's argument maybe isn't as strong, because they already have a competitor in the shooter space uh, with Destiny 2. The second thing is that Call of Duty is not what it used to be. Call of Duty's had a rough couple of years, and they've actually had a rough couple of games across probably the last two to three console generations and it seems like every time they stumble you know they might get back to their you know what they used to be but it, it's never been the glory days of the original modern warfare 2 the original black ops and things like that if we take a look at call of duty titles just for a, a very quick moment here i'm gonna head over to the wikipedia page here there are a boatload of Call of Duty games. They've been putting out Call of Duty games every year since 2005. Think about that. Every year since 2005 with Call of Duty 2, which appeared on the Xbox 360. After that was Call of Duty 3, which was also on the PlayStation 2, PS3, Xbox 360. Hell, it was even on the Wii. Modern Warfare was on the Wii. World at War was on the Wii. Uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, Black Ops, Modern Warfare 3, those were on the Nintendo DS, for God's sakes. Where things started to really slip was in 2013 for Call of Duty with Call of Duty Ghosts, a game that was not very good. It was also uh, one of the first games to appear on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. So 2013, Ghosts comes out is on ps4 and xbox one the next year advanced warfare comes out a much better game a much bigger deal in my in my humble opinion and uh i think really you know brings it all back black ops 3 again was a bit of a stumble you know it tried to kind of bite some of that you know uh titanfall feel with the wall running and it just didn't work infinite warfare a game with a tremendous single player story as far as i'm concerned and a terrible multiplayer. Then they bring it back with World War II. Literally called Call of Duty World War II. And it's no good. Black Ops 4. No good. Also, Black Ops 4, one of the rare instances of a Call of Duty game not having a single player campaign. Then in 2019, they bring it all back. It's like a huge, roaring success. Call of Duty is back, baby, because Call of Duty Modern Warfare comes out. Infinity Ward is back. 
as the lead developer and they just kill it. It's a great uh, single player. You know, I didn't love some of the story stuff in the single player, but overall it's a pretty good game. Tremendous multiplayer. That's where we saw Warzone, one of the biggest games in the world, Call of Duty Warzone. And then they go on to shit the bed twice in a row with Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War in uh, 2020 and Vanguard in 2021. And I would love to see Call of Duty get back to its popularity with Modern Warfare 2. I just don't think it's going to happen because a lot of things have changed. You know, gaming as a whole has changed. People are playing free-to-play games like Destiny 2. What? You're going to tell me there are people out there that think Destiny 2 is no good. They might like shooters, but Destiny 2 is not good enough for them because it's free to play. What, so you can go ahead and spend 70, 80 bucks on Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2? And that somehow is a better experience? You might prefer different games and, and, and to each their own. Um, no arguments from me. But Destiny 2 is a really big game because it is free to play. And because it's a damn good game as far as I'm concerned. And Call of Duty is a game that's come out every year. Like Clockwork. Like Madden. Like NHL. And I think for Sony to sit here and say that Call of Duty is a serious threat. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Because I just don't see Call of Duty the way I used to. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Things change. People are now playing Destiny 2 and Fortnite and... A wide variety of other games and a lot of the world's most popular games are single-player games so to them while they might spend a couple of bucks here and there a week every day every month whenever new content rolls out the fact is they're not being hit up for 80 bucks every year the way Call of Duty asks its players to now in fairness uh, they did say that Call of Duty uh, will be taking a break next year so apparently Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 will be the last Call of Duty game for at least a year. We'll see about that. Um, I fully believe them when they say that Call of Duty will skip a year next year. But in what state it comes back in, it's really hard to tell. Um, speaking of the state of things, Cyberpunk 2077 is getting its first paid expansion, Phantom Liberty which is coming out on current-gen consoles and PC in 2023. Now, the reason why I stress current-gen consoles is because Cyberpunk 2077 came out on last-gen consoles. You can get a copy of Cyberpunk 2077 for the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One. The problem is, and everyone knew this, you know, everyone had a pretty good idea. I'm not going to say everyone knew this. I don't think they knew this until the game actually came out. But those... PlayStation 4 and Xbox One versions of Cyberpunk 2077 are fucking rough. They're rough. They're big, big messes, as far as I'm concerned. The problem is that even when Cyberpunk 2077 runs well and performs well on PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X or PC, I still don't think Cyberpunk 2077 is that good of a game. Certainly not enough to warrant me spending any more money on a paid expansion. But they got Keanu Reeves back. You know, Keanu Reeves played a big role in the story of Cyberpunk 2077 when he played 
Johnny Silverhand. I mean, for God's sakes, you get to play spoilers, I guess. You get to play as Keanu Reeves in Cyberpunk for at least a little bit. But they've decided that they're going to skip the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One versions. So no Phantom Liberty expansion for the last generations of consoles. Instead, coming to PC, PS5, Xbox Series X and S, and Stadia. Google Stadia, which I'm not going to make a joke about Google Stadia because I already said the words Google Stadia and that's funny enough. Uh, CD Projekt also announced the game's new Edge Runners update, uh, which will be the last major update for the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One versions of 2077. Now, again, one of the big complaints is that Cyberpunk launched really rough. It was a big, big mess. You know, and so for such a huge, popular, even super popular before it even came out, this huge single player story focused game comes out and it's a hot mess and one of the biggest hot messes was the playstation 4 and xbox one versions of those games so edge runners uh, also known as version 1.6 will be the last major update uh that is already out um so if you have a copy of that game uh great edge runners will be out on all the platforms but it'll be the last update for ps4 and xbox one now they did say that it won't be the last in terms of performance updates or security updates or anything like that. So you might still see some minor updates and things like that to the PS4 and Xbox One version. But, you know, anything that, you know, further overhauls the issues with that game will not be coming. Which fucking sucks. But I guess it just goes to show you, don't buy broken video games. I mean, they told you that game was broken. Like, reviews hit day that game came out. And if you had pre-ordered it, I guess you could have always gotten your money back or done something. God, remember when they pulled uh, Cyberpunk from the PlayStation Store? They they fucking pulled the game from the PlayStation Store because it was that hot of a mess. Uh, the patch, uh, the Edge Runners patch, uh, will also include a tie-in for Netflix's Cyberpunk Edge Runners anime series, which is out September thirteenth. Um, they canceled that Resident Evil series so if you're looking for a new video game tv show on netflix i guess give cyberpunk edge runners a shot it's, it's probably better than the game it almost certainly has to be better than the game cd project red claimed in april that cyberpunk 2077 had sold over 18 million copies since its december 2020 release and if not, even after all those copies they still can't find the resources to patch fix and repair the broken ass version of the PS4 and Xbox One. I played that game not that long ago. I didn't. I haven't played since the, the you know in probably a couple of months. But I played that game after they put out a lot of updates, a lot of fixes, and it's a problem similar to what we saw with the most recent Saints Row game, where there's a ton of bugs, ton of glitches, ton of this funky performance issues and crashing and. Shit like that. But the problem is that even if that game run, uh, excuse me, even if that game ran and performed perfectly, it still isn't a very good game. And that's one of the things I'd like to remind people about is, you know, games might ship broken. Games might ship in funky states. We should really be looking for what that actual gameplay is like, what that actual gameplay experience is like in a ideal scenario. Because there's a good possibility that 
under all that mess is a boring, not very good game. That being said, Morbid Curiosity does get the better of us. So if you end up picking up a copy of Cyberpunk, I don't necessarily blame you. Uh, just maybe play it on PC or PS5 or something like that. Maybe I'll get back to it too. Because again, Morbid Curiosity, but we'll see. Xbox's Matt Booty dreams about using AI to do QA testing. That is the next news story here. Matt Booty is the head of Xbox Game Studios. And during uh, PAX last weekend, he had some shit to say. Let's see if I can find this quote here. It's literally a dream. So it's like Matt Booty dreams of electric sheep type shit. In my dream, I'm going to quote, this is a quote. In my dream, there's a lot going on with AI and machine learning right now. And people using AI to generate all these images. What I always say when I bump into the AI folks at Microsoft, uh, parentheses in Microsoft, is help me figure out how to use an AI bot to go test a game. I would love to be able to start up 10,000 instances, 10,000 versions of a game in the cloud. So there's 10,000 copies of the game running, deploy an AI bot, some artificial intelligence to spend all night testing the game in the morning. And in the morning we get a report because that would be transformational. I want to get these quotes out there in the open right now before I go and rip Matt Booty to fucking shreds. That's some tone deaf bullshit, Matt Booty. Who the fuck are you? Really? Who the fuck do you think you are? In a world where QA, quality assurance, and testers get shit on day after day after day to the point where they're like, fuck it, we need to unionize to protect ourselves from our own employers. Matt Booty, you want to turn around and say, you know what, fuck it. We'll just have robots do it. Fuck it, we'll have robots do it. Matt Booty, do you realize that Xbox owns Bethesda? Bethesda ships broken game after broken game every single time they launch a game. And you have the nerve to say, let's have quality assurance performed by an AI. Motherfucker, when human beings report that a game is broken, you just ignore it and say, ah, fuck it, ship it anyways. Ship it anyways. The problem with QA and, and testing in games right now is that these deadlines do not budge. These deadlines do not budge for anything. Game-breaking bugs, save-deleting bugs, horrible shit that these games, you know, have when they ship. I mean, holy shit. It's not just the mistreatment that some of these developers experience. It's the part where these games ship in a fucked up state. Dude, I was just talking about cyberpunk. And you got the nerve to say, yeah, let's have AI do a human being's job. Oh, let me guess. It'll make it easier to ignore the bugs in the next game. Remember, Bethesda put out Fallout 4. Bethesda put out Fallout 76. Halo Infinite has its fair share of bugs, dude. And you have the nerve. It's just tone deaf, man. It's just tone deaf. And to be honest, I think when you get to be in a position like Matt Booty, why bother caring about people? Like, like why bother? Seriously, why bother caring about your workers at all? Because, because why? Because, because they're doing a hard job? You don't even care. 
You don't care about the job they're doing because when they come up to you and say, hey man, this game's kind of broken. It's like, well, can't miss. We got pre-orders. We have to, you know, we got pre-orders. Like it fucking sucks. And I get what he's saying. Like machine learning and AI will get to a point where that might be possible. But then you're going to have humans, you know, testing the AI. Now they're going to have to not only test the game, but test the AI. Let me explain. You're going to need someone who needs to program the AI to perform these certain tasks, right? To test the game. So you're already going to need to make sure that this AI can do its job properly. On, on top of that, you need to make sure that the game can do its job properly of running in an acceptable state. And then once that human gets that AI to perform its job and then sifts through the report saying this is broken, this doesn't work, tighten up the graphics in level three, whatever the fuck. Then you need to have people actually implement those fixes and those changes. And right now, what we're seeing in, in testing and in quality assurance departments is that you have human beings running these tests themselves and going back and saying, we need to tighten up the graphics on level three. This is broken. This needs to be fixed. This is glitchy. And then it doesn't get fucking fixed. Like, what the fuck, Matt Booty? Just think, just use, you, you listen, you're a smart guy, you're head of Xbox, you know, game studios, just use your fucking brain. I mean, really, all right? Like, you, you shouldn't take me, some, you know, some dipshit with some podcast to say, you should really fix, you know, you should really fix your games. But here we are. We'll see. We'll see. You know. You have QA testers working 10 hour days, six days a week, uh, six days a week and not getting paid much for it because they're working under, quote, under precarious financial circumstances. It just sucks. It's just shitty. And again, I'm not surprised to find out that once you get to be in Matt Booty's position, you stop caring about people in general. Fuck, I'm surprised he cares about games in general, but I guess it's a number. So at least he can look at a graph somewhere and say, well, the, the line, the number went up. That's great. I don't even know what else to say about the story other than I don't think Matt Booty understands people. Maybe he understands games. Maybe he understands business. But he sure as fuck doesn't understand people. And without people, games and business, it's fucking nothing. I think you should remember that. Ugh. I'm fired up. And I'm fired up because I have another game industry veteran saying stupid ass shit. Let me pull up the story for you. Glenn, 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 why don't you just shut the fuck up? Callisto Protocol Director, I'm going to read the headline from Video Games Chronicles. Callisto Protocol Director walks back on comments appearing to promote crunch. So again, crunch, the idea that you are working longer than normal hours, you know, over more days than you typically would to get a game out the door. Kaliso Protocol's director, Glenn Schofield, says he was wrong to post about his team's long working hours. Again, an industry veteran. Matt Booty's been around a long time. Glenn Schofield been around a long time. Fuck. These guys have probably collectively been around, you know, games longer than some people have been gaming for. Even your gray haired gamers. I mean, shit. The funny thing about 
Glenn Schofield is that he's a pussy. I'm just gonna say, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I know, like, hey, I have the explicit thing on this podcast, you know, he's a pussy. Why? Because he deleted the tweet. Fucking chump. In a now deleted tweet, Glenn Schofield said, I only talk about the game during an event. We are working six to seven days a week. Nobody's forcing us. Exhaustion, tired, COVID, but we're working. Bugs, glitches. He continued. Um, uh, uh, perf fixes, uh, performance fixes, one last pass through audio, 12 to 15 hour days. This is gaming. Hard work, lunch, dinner, working. You do it because you love it. Wow, way to brag about working your people to death, Glenn Schofield. I mean, holy shit. But I mean, if you're so proud of it, why delete the tweet? Why? Because you had a bunch of people on Twitter calling you out? Oh, come on. But you're making the game. Glenn, you're in charge of the game, not the people on Twitter. So who the fuck cares? Well, turns out Glenn Schofield cares because he deleted it. Here's what his response was after he deleted it. Quote, Anyone who knows me knows how passionate I am about the people I work with. Earlier, I tweeted how proud I was of the effort and hours the team was putting in. That was wrong. We value passion and creativity, not long hours. I'm sorry to the team for coming across like this. That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't fix anything, Glenn. Those people are probably still working too hard. Those people are probably still working too long. And on top of that, if you say you're proud of the game... How come I don't see the word proud in any of your deleted tweets? Hmm? How about that? Didn't use the word, didn't use the word proud fucking once. Instead, I see uh, six to seven days a week, 12 to 15 hour days. That doesn't sound like proud to me. Mm -mm. That doesn't sound like proud whatsoever. You know, these, these, these industry veterans have a lot of nerve. Because again, they've clearly demonstrated that they are masters of the games business, that they're masters of game development, but they don't know people. And I think somewhere along the way, you just lose a little bit of your humanity. I really do. Like, I think Glenn Schofield is less human than the people who work for him. And that might sound harsh. That might sound, man, this is going to be the most fired episode to date, but, but Jesus, like, how can you sit there and just think that that tweet is going to come across as anything other than horrible? Just It's just horrible. It's a horrible thing to think about. Like, I don't want to, like, Kalisa Protocol looks cool. You know, a fantastic, you know, single-player focused action horror game. It looked awesome. It was one of the things that Karch and I talked about when he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Was, Man, Kalisa Protocol looks cool. And it's a game that's actually coming out this year. I don't want to buy Callisto Protocol. What? Like, like it's it's bad enough that like, you know, whatever game I'm currently playing now featured developers being crunched to death. But like, if I can like put my money towards a game that was a little more ethically developed. Maybe it's money well spent. I'm not saying I'm going to boycott, ban, Callisto Protocol or anything like that. Instead, I'm going to use this podcast to say, Glenn Schofield, you need to do better. You need to do better by your people. Like, forget the deadline for the game. Forget the pre-orders. Like, fuck all that shit. Do better by your people, man. They deserve it. Your, your check's still going to clear. Like, you know, 
this game could go completely under and you'll be fine because you're Glenn Schofield. The QA people that are being worked to death that are worried about being replaced by robots and are also trying to unionize at the same time. Those are the people that are like really taking the brunt of this. So have some common sense, have some decency because your people deserve better. They really do. This is the last news story of the show because I am, whew, I am, uh, I'm feeling a little spicy and uh, it's uh, taking a little bit out of me. Ridgeline Games revealed as the newest studio dedicated to the Battlefield franchise. Last week, we talked about the state of things over at EA between Need for Speed and Battlefield. And I'm assuming that everyone who works at EA, all 10,000 people, listen to this podcast and we're like, shit, this nitwit guy, this nitwit guy knows what he's talking about. They probably won't listen to this podcast because they're going to be like, wow, I can't believe he said horrible things about Matt Booty and Glenn Schofield, but whatever. Seattle, this is the, so they put out a press release and uh, I don't mind reading some of this press release here for you. Electronic Arts has revealed the newest addition to its family over 20 of of over 20 development teams. Remember, they say family. They treat each other like family. They're definitely not working these people to death. Anyways, I'm just going to has revealed the newest addition to its family of over 20 development teams. Seattle based Ridgeline Games, uh, which is head up by one of the Halo co-creators and composed of industry veterans from around the world. Ridgeline Games will be focused on developing a narrative campaign set in the battlefield universe the reason why i bring this up one it's a new you know it's a new studio we don't always get new studio announcements but uh the last battlefield game did not launch with a single player campaign right you know kind of the same way that uh um black ops 4 didn't have a single player campaign Battlefield 2042 did not have a single player campaign. Now, again, the problems with Battlefield 2042 go beyond the lack of a single player. So let's just let's just get that out of the way. Oh, it also looks like uh, Battlefield creative director uh, Lars Gustafsson is leaving Dice after 22 years. Oh, okay. Well, this this now this story makes a lot more sense between the creative director leaving and this new a new team uh, focusing on single player again. The point is, is that 2042 had a lot of issues beyond just um, lack of single player. Like the, the multiplayer was messy and people really didn't like a lot of the design decisions that uh, were implemented. Now, the thing is, is that while Call of Duty has often been able to hang its head on you know, pretty action-packed, exciting single-player stories. The fact is, is that nobody comes to Call of Duty for the single-player campaigns. Most people who buy Call of Duty every year are going to be playing the multiplayer. That's like double so for Battlefield, a series that initially didn't even start out with single-player campaigns. So the inclusion of it, while it might seem like a head-scratcher, I think it makes a lot of sense now because you want a product that has... A decent amount of value to it. A variety of modes that get people in the door. Maybe maybe you can sell people on the idea of an exciting Battlefield story that converts them into being a multiplayer fan. It's really hard to say. Um, again, especially with a series that's had such ups and downs like Battlefield. 
Um, I don't know what to expect from a Battlefield narrative campaign at this point because they've tried so many different things. You had your little vignettes in Battlefield 1. You had, you know, Battlefield Hardline, which was not warfare. It was cops versus criminals sort of thing. Um, you had Bad Company, which had the best single-player campaigns of any of the Battlefield games. And you've had stories like Battlefield 3, which have tried to chase after kind of the bombastic, globe-trotting adventures that uh, Call of Duty has tried to produce in its single-player stories. So it's really hard to say what to expect. I am hopeful for the Battlefield you know, series going forward. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that while Battlefield might be too big to fail, it failing might actually produce some interesting results down the road. At least that's what I suspect. But, uh, again, if I were to fire up a Battlefield game, it'd probably be for the multiplayer. It might not be for the single player. And that's going to do it for news as I take this sip of water. We're going to be back in just a few minutes, so don't go anywhere. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some games that are out this week. What I've been playing, some content that you can expect from me for the rest of the week and so on and so forth. So stick around. We'll be right back. Well, alrighty then, welcome back to the podcast. Gosh, let's talk about games that are out this week. First of all, Gloomwood. Gloomwood, that uh, first-person kind of thief-esque uh, shooter, is out in early access on Steam. That came out on the 6th. Um, just so you know, early access is this uh, term, and it's become like a kind of an industry standard, so to speak, where... When a game comes out, if it is unfinished, they might call it early access or a beta or something like that. Usually early access tends to be something that single player story games use, whereas beta or open beta might be a term that a multiplayer game uses. Bloomwood is out, is now out in early access. Uh, Temtem, that uh, Pokemon-like gotta catch them all game, has come out of early access. That was also uh, that, so that left and finished up its final release. That is out as well. That came out on the sixth. Now again, with with a game like Temtem, when a game leaves early access, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's done. What it most likely means is that it is in a stable official version. That might also be the version that they eventually put out in a physical format on a disc or something like that. Um, so that is out of early access. That final version is now out. We'll see how that game shapes up again. More of a multiplayer focused uh, Pokemon like game, but uh, seemed interesting. A game that I've been playing Disney Dreamlight Valley is out in early access now and will be going free to play later next year. Now, with Disney Dreamlight Valley, I'm currently playing it on Xbox Game Pass. And as an Xbox Game Pass uh, subscriber, I get the game for free. Like I said, the game is coming out in 2023 in free to play. 
So what they're currently doing right now is they're selling a founder's pack, you know. So basically they're going to say, or what they're saying is, hey, we're going to, you know, let you play the game early before the official release, but you got to buy your way into it. This is something that Multiverses also did before its final version came out, or before it it hit open beta, excuse me. And let's just take a quick look here at what Disney Dreamlight Valley actually costs. So, if you buy into the Founders Pack edition of Disney Dreamlight Valley, it is about thirty-four bucks. If you buy the Ultimate, uh, sorry, if you buy the Deluxe Edition, which comes with extra stuff, it is sixty seventy-four. And if you buy the Ultimate Edition of Disney Dreamlight Valley. You're going to uh, get it for about 86 bucks. Now, these are prices that I'm looking at roughly on uh, Steam. You could also check it out on PlayStation, on Xbox, and things like that. I don't really know what the free-to-play nature of this game will eventually look like, so it's kind of hard for me to get an idea of what to expect as this game rolls out. But what I can say right now from Disney Dreamlight Valley, having put about three hours into it, is that it's a relatively simple kind of farming, crafting. People describe it as a life sim. I feel like life sim is a very vague term. But if you played games like Stardew Valley, if you played games like Harvest Moon, if you played games like Animal Crossing, it is like that. You know, you're fishing, you're farming, you're mining, you're talking to the people around town. In this case, you know, some of your closest companions in the game are like Scrooge McDuck, Mickey, uh, Goofy. I just unlocked, I haven't gone there yet, but I've unlocked the Ratatouille realm. And basically the premise for the game is an evil darkness falls across this Dreamlight Valley town. And you're this magical person who stumbles upon it and you have the great power to undo the evil of the world. So undoing the evil of the world would be things like removing these dark purple tentacles from the from the world or helping Goofy rebuild his shop or helping Scrooge McDuck rebuild his shop or, you know, uh, helping Mickey Mouse find Minnie who's gone missing and a variety of things. And, and I want to say like, it's a relatively simple game. And even within about three hours, I've already felt that the game might be a tad repetitive. Um, but you know, you're, you're fishing and then you're turning around and selling that fish to, you know, buy upgrades for your house. You have a player house. So you can upgrade your upgrade, your house. You can, uh, you know, cook food, you can buy different costumes and, 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 and clothing for your character. Um, but it's a lot of that of like, oh, I'm going to fish and then I'm going to sell the fish to Goofy. And then I'm going to take my money and go see Scrooge McDuck, who will sell me a, a computer that'll spruce up the way my house looks or whatever the case may be. You can also hang out with the characters. So if you hang out with Mickey, he might give you some perks or some bonuses. So, and you can choose what those perks or bonuses are. So I think right now, if I hang out with Mickey and I go mining, I'm more likely to get more mining resources by hanging out with Mickey. You can also give gifts. So you can say, Hey Mickey, I got you this apple. Or I can say, Hey Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey Mickey. Hey Mickey. Or whatever. I don't know how much I'm going to keep playing it, but I've enjoyed my time with it. So I really, I really can't necessarily complain about a being able to play it for free as part of game pass. Um, but I don't know how, if you want to spend, you know, 30, 40 bucks or whatever on this early access version of a game that will eventually become free to play. 
next year. So maybe keep it on your radar if you're looking for kind of a light, breezy, very chill, relaxing sort of game. But, uh, you know, there's also games like Stardew Valley that are out there that are, you know, pretty cheap. And you can probably get Stardew Valley for like less than 20 bucks. And that is going to be probably a more fully realized version of one of these games just without the Disney charm. And then probably the biggest game to come out this week, Splatoon 3 for the Nintendo Switch, brought to you by our good friends at Nintendo, is out on the 9th. I've never played a Splatoon game. But the idea of like it's a shooter, but instead of guns, it's paint because it's Nintendo and it's family friendly has always seemed like a decent idea. It's like, you know, bright and it's colorful and it's a cute looking game and everyone's a squid. They're kind of like squid kids or something. Uh, Splatoon 3, you know, with its single player story, its multiplayer and its co-op uh, cooperative play seems like a decent well-rounded package. Probably the best Splatoon has ever been. Um, even if it might be a little samey, or at least some people are reporting that it is same old, same old, uh, but a little bit more and a little bit better. So to speak in terms of videos, I do have a video of Disney Dreamlight Valley up now on my YouTube channel. Uh, I also took another look at Midnight Fight Express. One of the issues that I had with Midnight Fight Express was that there are some difficulty spikes in the game. Um, there are times when that game gets pretty hard. There are times where the levels are really short, so it isn't that, you know, difficult to, to navigate through because it's relatively short, but it's tricky. Um, and then, uh, so that video is up now. Of my kind of updated opinions on Midnight Fight Express and some more gameplay. Uh, Disney Dreamlight Valley, my impressions and my gameplay of Disney Dreamlight Valley up now. Uh, we're also going to do another date with Destiny 2. I've been continuing to play Destiny 2. Going to get back into the single player story. Excuse me, not single player story. I mean, I could play single player, but I probably will play single player, but it's not necessarily a single player game. Going to go back to the story of Destiny 2. Uh, Batman Season 2 Episode 1. That video is going to be up this week as well. will be up by the time you hear this podcast. So go check that out. And then... Uh, on Saturday, we will have Scared Out of My Wits. Episode 9 of Resident Evil 2 will be up, so look forward to that. The easiest way, and I'm going to tell you this, I'll, let me tell you something, brother. The easiest way to find everything that I do on the internet is to head over to my link tree. Linktree.com slash G-N-I-T-T-W-I-T-T. That is Twitter. That is YouTube. That's Instagram, if that's your thing, uh, and so much more. There's a link to uh, my merch store if you're looking to pick up some merch, um, so on and so forth. And again, a reminder, we're probably looking at the last couple of weeks of this show being called The Nitwit Show. We, I have a name in mind, um, but that is about it, and you will find out more about it soon. But I'm going to try to do the change in a way where you do not have to update any of your podcast settings or any of your podcast subscriptions or anything like that. So look forward to that in the next couple of months. I will, I will, I will, I will inform you when the last episode of the Nitwit Show is happening and when you can expect to hear more of the new podcast. Again, it's mostly going to be the same format. We just got to change the name. As simple as that. We just got to change the name. That's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much for listening to the Knit Wit Show. Keep on listening when we switch over to the new name. And that is going to do it. I've been Knit Wit.
Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again later. Take it easy.